all have Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 16 all the way down to 13 today. And if you don't have your Bibles and you would like one, uh, the blue one is a uh, free for you to take and take home as your very own this morning. Uh, it's the, there we go. Uh, so there we go. And as you're turning there too, just a, just a little bit of a heads up, we're going to finish up Ephesians. And then in the summertime, I thought we would take a break and do a series called The Summer in the Psalms, where we look at different psalms and scripture. It'll be good. If you, you get, we'll do a little bit of, uh, I think it'll be good. I think it'll, it's, uh, it'll be a nice, nice thing for the summer moving forward. And then maybe in the, in the fall, we'll, we'll look at the book of Esther. I haven't decided quite yet, but... That's sort of where, where things are going, if you're wondering. Uh, so let's read God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 7 all the way to uh, 11. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, and all that is right, and all that is true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 12, it says, For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for, any, for anything that becomes visible is is light. That's a little bit of a weird thing. Uh, grammar there. Maybe that would be good. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness, and we pray that as we open up your word and learn what it means to be light, that you would speak to us and move in our in our lives. Help us uh, help me clearly communicate the word. And Holy Spirit, would you show us where exactly in this uh, in our own personal lives the Scripture applies? And everybody said. Alright, so uh, we're going to get started today just as a recap so you've kind of been following where we are and you're understanding the text today. We've been going through Ephesians and I told you that the first three uh, chapters of Ephesians, uh, am I on? Like, okay. uh, the first uh, three chapters of Ephesians are uh, have to do with your identity in Christ, they tell you about the gospel, they tell you about who you are and the blessings that come from being a part of the gospel. And then five through, or sorry, four through six, kind of say, now that this is, you live the gospel, this is how it filters down into your life. And so last week, we talked about the idea that uh, when you look at all the commands that you and I are required to do in Scripture, that it can seem overwhelming. And that verses one and two talk about the idea that it, when, you, when you look at all the commands given, that you can really boil them down, or the summary of them is that you imitate God and walk in love. And so that's where we talked about the simplicity of the gospel. You looked at all the enormous things that you and I are required to do as Christians. It can be boiled down to those two things. And so the rest of chapter 5 actually just kind of talks about how that practically looks like. So verses 3 to 6 talk about the idea of imitating God as pure. And what we just read right now talks about the idea of imitating God as light. You don't have to go very far in Scripture to uh, uh, to notice that Scripture often uses light to describe God. In fact, it's actually there in the, fir- in the, fir- the, in the first three verses 
of the Bible. But because we are to imitate God and God is like, the scripture tells us that we are to walk as children of light. It says this in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. And I want to stop there. And that's actually, uh, you can actually, that's a call back to Ephesians chapter 2. Where it talks about we were dead in our sins. And that we were actually, we were, we weren't just part of the dark world. We were part of the problem. We were sinners. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are what? Light in the Lord. And therefore... Walk as children of light. So the idea, remember what I said? Imitate God, God is light, therefore walk as children of light. So that's sort of the big thing, but then the question that I need to ask, and you need to ask pretty clearly, is what does that mean? What does that mean to walk in the light, and what does it mean to be children of light? And so if I was just going to say, what is this text about in a sentence or two, and kind of boil it down to one thing, it would be this, is that this text gives three definitions of what it means to walk in light and three applications of walking as the children of light. And so what I'm going to do today is what I really like to do is I just like to walk you through the three definitions and then give you the three applications. So let's start here this morning. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good all that is right, and that one, all that is true. And so what I would actually say to you this morning is that when you actually look at the definition of light, what does it mean to walk in light? I would say that a simple definition really is this, is that we live a good, right, and true life. Okay? In the Bible, when, uh, when we talk about light, it can be actually kind of confusing. Because the first thing that I think about when I think about children of light is like my fleshly mind goes to cults. That's the very first thing I think of, like children of light. And I'm just like, well, that's kind of weird and deceptive. And then I think about actual light, like physical light. But so, and then, so the, the concept of actually being light, and I find is a little bit nebulous, but when the Bible talks about light in relationship to God, it talks about it in two senses. Number one, it's actually physical light. So that's like the creation account in Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verses all the way to 3, where God says, let there be light, so there's physical light. But it actually talks about light in the moral sense, right? So darkness is compared to evil, light is compared to good. And so when it asks us to walk as children of light, it's actually asking us to, to walk in the morality or the, the, in the sense of being moral, right? And the three things that it says here is just like, if you want to walk in children, but be a, be a person of light, what it really boils down to is living a life that is good, living a life that is right, and living a life that is true. Now I know that that's not exactly rocket science for everybody in here. It's probably like, yeah, you've probably heard that before. There's nothing really new there. But let me walk you through a little bit of what it means to be good, Right and true, and let me have, uh, walk you through how to apply that to your life. So, here we go. So the very first thing, what does it mean to be good? Because okay. there's varied definitions of good. You could say that good means that, you, you could say that good is in a moral sense, that you were to be a good person, to do good things. But that's not necessarily what it means in this particular sense in this text. Okay. And just a good tip for Bible reading, if you're ever 
coming across something in the Bible and you're wondering what it actually means, a good rule of thumb or something that I've learned is, is look how that word is used elsewhere in that particular book and that will kind of give you a little bit of an idea of how it is used or meant to be in the text. And so in this case, when you look at the word good, the last time you find the word good in this sense is actually in Ephesians chapter 2 where it talks about the idea that you and I were created in Christ to do what? Good works. Good works. Which he, what? Prepared us in advance for us to do. So I'm actually going to argue here that when it says about me, when you're walking as a children of light, and that means that you're doing something good, what it is actually referring to is the idea that you and I bring good into people's lives. And that's one of the reasons that why Christians, wherever we've gone, we've set up hospitals and universities, we've built, we've built wells, we've fed the poor, we do disaster relief. Our own church sends people halfway across the country to pick up trees. We are, when it says to do good, what it actually means is that you and I are working to make this world a better place. It means, that we are, it, it means that we are doing actions that bring good to the care of others. This is why Christians care for the poor. This is why we, the, it says in Scripture that you must care for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. This is that no one else is doing that. We are to help in, in any sort of sense in that way. Okay? That we are to be a force for good. Next, it says that we are to live a right life. And in this case, right means righteous. It doesn't mean correct, like you got the answer right. It means that you and I are to live ethical and moral lives. So the, this comes in, it's kind of what the, uh, the puppet show said, right? It's the idea that, you know, when you're living the life of the fruit of, the fruit of light is good, right, and true. And so there's this idea there, here in the right, that you're actually referring to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And lastly, we are to be a people that are true. What does it mean to walk in light? That you are good, right, and true. We are people of the facts. Christians are to avoid all forms of deceit. We are to be trustworthy people. We, don't, we are people that when we say our word, that people don't have to second-guess what we say. They don't have to hide, they don't have to read into what we say. They, we, we speak the truth plainly and bluntly. And I actually believe that that accounts for all kinds of truth. Moral truth, factual truth, scientific or true truth. We are to be known as, the, as Christians as one of the people that look for truth at all costs, no matter how inconvenient. And I, by the way, just as a little side note, uh, this is why I believe that Christians cause and advance the cause of science, that Christianity and science are not contradictory, because it's the Christian worldview that allows for the modern scientific method to be possible in the first place. Because we teach that God is rational, responsible, and dependable, and His creation would function in the same way. That God is a God of order, and therefore the universe has order, and therefore can be tested and retested, and the scientific method is built on the foundation of that. That you have a hypothesis, and you try it out, and it can be tested and retested. It is in the gardens of Christianity 
that the convictions of science grew. Why? Because we are a people of truth. That cannot be said for other worldviews. Think about it for a second. Greek and Roman gods. If you study them and know the, the lore and mythology of them, you know that by definition they were fickle. They were not predictable at all. So they would build something here. You couldn't, you couldn't, the scientific method couldn't survive under that philosophy. Buddhism says that the world around us is maya, or an illusion. And so to study, the, to study the world around you means that you're studying something that isn't even real. There's, there's a philosophy out there that says that nature is divine. That God just didn't create a tree as a reflection of his glory, that the tree actually is God. And so if you poke a tree or a cow, you're being irrelevant against a deity. Judaism and Islam are religions of law. Don't touch, don't examine. We walk in light and we fight for the facts. The facts of spiritual truth, historical truth, scientific truth. And this is what it means to walk in light, to be good, to be righteous, and to... And here's what I want to say on this very clearly in that as we move forward, is that when God looked at the earth, it was 100% dark, okay? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, okay? And if you remember from our series on, on Genesis, when God, it says that in verse 2 is that the earth was formless, and the, we said that it was, the, the definition was that it was like a howling wasteland. And it was, verse 3 tells us it was covered with water, so there was no light on the planet. Now here you have God, he's in verse 1 and 2, he has created the world, and it's this dark, desolate, wet desert. There's no light. And then what does it say in verse 3? And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So then you take light, you take light, and God speaks light over the world. And then what happens is that light allows life to flourish on the planet. In the same way, our culture is kind of dark right now. And it is very dark and lifeless and evil. It feels like it's a very formless, howling wasteland of a planet. And the tendency, I think, is that you and I try to run away and hide. And we take that little light that God has given us... And we hide it under a bushel. You know that song? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it. Come on. I'm going to let it shine. This is why I don't sit in church. Okay. And what does it say? Hide it under a bushel. Oh, I'm going to let it shine. Right? You and I, we're, we are to imitate God because God has brought light into our world and into our souls because of Jesus Christ. And I believe that means is that we take look at our world, this dark world, and we and we speak light over it. We walk in the right way, we walk in a true way, and we walk in a good way. And you know what that does? That creates life on the planet. It allows people to find the light of Jesus Christ. The culture prospers. And you and I need to make sure that the culture that we live in prospers. Because if the culture prospers, you prosper. Remember what I told you when we were going through the book of Daniel? Remember what I told you happened when Jeremiah told the, the, the exiles? 
is that you're now in Babylon, this dark, demonic, gross, disgusting place of a city. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to go run and hide? No, in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It says, I'm just making sure I got here. Yeah. Pursue the well being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you thrive. Right? So there was this idea that while they were waiting for the fulfillment of the exiles to return. The nation of Israel, in which Daniel has to live, he was to actually bless and make sure that Babylon thrived and take, could take care of it. And I think Christians must always think of our relationship to a non-Christian culture in the same way as Daniel's relationship to the state was. We must seek the welfare of this nation. Christians should be a force for betterment for a dark world. We should leave this world better than when we found it, a force for good, something that is right and true. Listen, friends, very carefully. Our churches should, be so, should bless the communities around us so much that if Manor were to close today, it would be a detriment to the community. So many churches uh, close their doors every Sunday and, not, and their communities around don't even notice that they're gone. That speaks, but I want to say to you that to be a force for light, to be something that good, that is right and true, means that we go out in the world, we live a righteous life, we seek the truth, we are we, we look for the betterment in others, and then when we and then that is actually yearned for. But if we ever closed our doors, that would be missed. If matter closed today, no one cared. I don't think we did our jobs right. We are to be a force for light. For an example, I want to give you an example of what I mean. Uh, many of you know I come from an evangelical free background. And when I was in that church, I was candidating or uh, looking for my ordination there. When I was there, I, which meant I had to do a whole lot of theo theological work and a whole lot of reading on the history of the movement. And one of the things I learned was the foundation of Trinity Western University. Trinity Western University was set up by the Evangelical Free Church to prove you could teach people how to do secular jobs with a biblical point of view, and despite all the bad press that they got over the years, that's what they did. The idea was is that we could teach non-Christian jobs in a Christian way, stuff like such, uh, occupations such as uh, teachers and nurses and lawyers and scientists. And we could teach them the way... We can teach them how to do it biblically, but also teach them biblically. <clears throat> and here's what I know when I went into the room. Despite all the bad press that happened in the last 10 years, non-Christians were banging on the doors of the university to get in in the mid-2010s. I'm not sure if that's the way now, but I knew it was the way there. It was also named one of the safest universities in the nation. You know how you go to a university today and you have those little... Uh, emergency phones everywhere. They didn't have them. They didn't need them. When I say that we are a force for good, that is an example. Now, Trinity isn't always perfect, but I know that, that the sort of the thing is that we are to bring light into the world. Wherever we go, the smart get wise, 
the crime rates drop, and I think the market should rise. I think bullies should make nice, crooks should repent, and I think the Canucks should let them stand it up. Okay? This is the message that we spread. We bring light to the dead. We show that the gospel is true. When the city prospers, you prosper. And when, the, when we prosper, that actually gives glory to God. Do you remember the verse that I read to you? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Do you remember what it said? i got to look it up here. I had a bookmarked. Matthew 5, 16. Okay. In the same way, let your shine before others, so they may see your what? Good works. And give glory to who? God. That's what it means to be children of what? Walking good to right and true. So then the, the obvious question is then how do you do it? So let me give you three the three uh, three ways you can live a good, good, right, and true life. And same works. Everyone hit the slide for me. Three ways to live a number one, don't be partners with people. Now, this can be a little bit of a tricky verse. It says this in verse uh, verse 7, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Well, then the obvious question is, who is them? My clicker's not working again. Who is them? You remember what I told you about the therefore? What is the therefore? Therefore. Therefore, right? So it says, therefore, do not be partners with them. So what it's saying is on the basis of what we just said, don't be partners with them. So it's actually referring to the people in verse 5 and 6, where you can be sure of this, that anyone who lives in a moral or pure lifestyle or is covetous, that is an idolater who has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, this can be a tricky one because you can actually fall into two extremes on this one. Because there are, there's on one side where you're, you're you and I, uh, let me back up on this. Because you and I can, can fall into one or two extremes with this one, you and I need to learn how to live in the tension of this. Because this is one of those principles that you and I have to, like, it, it's a tension verse. What I mean by that is that there's this extreme version where Christians look at this verse and say, well, uh, you know, let, let's look at the world around us. We can't be partners with everybody, so that means I can't be friends with non-Christians. I, I can't do business with non-Christians. And so the application of, that, of this verse is that you take your Christian family and you get together with other Christian families and you create a commune of Christianity somewhere and you kind of like not live in the world, right? That's the extreme. That's not the call of the Christian faith, friends. That's not what it means. How do I know it's not what it means? Because, like I said, there is a tension in this verse. I'm going to get the slide for you there. I want you to make sure that you never make a doctrine out of just one verse. It has to be the whole Bible's opinion on the subject. So that if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, and I put it in the NLT just to help us understand what's going on here, it says this. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers. Uh, who 
who indulge in sin, or greedy, or cheat, or worship idols. You would actually have to do what? Leave this world if you were like that. So it seems to me that there's this tension, right? Between what is going on here. So then what does it mean to be a partner and not be partners with me? And here's what I think, simplistically, this is what it means. Okay. I think when it tells us that it's not that we're not to be partners with evil, what it's forbid what it's forbidding is participation in evil, not association. Because if you were to if you were to say that you were not to associate with non-believers at all, there would be kind of a problem with Jesus himself, wouldn't there? Right? Jesus associated with non-believers. He ate with them. What does the Bible say? He ate with sinners. The Pharisee hated that. Paul himself associates with non-believers. In fact, I can't think of anything except for maybe two, maybe three ways that the Bible actually tells you not to associate with non-Christians. And the first is, is I actually think that you are to cut off a friendship with a non-Christian if you need to participate in evil in order to keep that relationship alive. So for example... Like if you're a recovering alcoholic and you're trying to get rid of that and you want to keep your friends who also drink beside you, then I think, but you, but you need to drink in order to be their friend. I, I think it's time to cut the relationship off. Right? Bad company corrupts good character. The only, and the only other reason I could think of it too is when someone lives and believes whatever they want and calls himself a Christian. 1 Corinthians 5.11 I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer and indulges in sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people don't even eat with such people. I can also make the argument too for church discipline but you know, my point is this like, it's forbidding participation in evil not association. Now that's one extreme but there's another extreme. And the another extreme is that I, I actually, when I was a youth pastor, I got in trouble for this because I would preach this, and then my the youth would be go, all right, that means I could go to the parties, right? So my, you know, my friends are like having a party at the house, they're having beers, there's loud music, I can go, and I can be a witness for Jesus because that's what Jesus was, that was the witness of Jesus. So Jesus went to the parties, Jesus went to the clubs, and as long as I don't do it, I can associate by going to the clubs and I can go into this. And that's the other extreme of this, and that is also unhealthy, because you want to know why it's unhealthy? It's because you are not Jesus. You want to know why I know that you're not Jesus when you go in those situations? Because when Jesus went into the situations, when he ate with the sinners, and he hung out with the prostitutes, and all that kind of thing, one of two things would happen. One of, only two things would happen. Guess what they were? Anyone want to take a guess? What happened when Jesus went to the parties? They would either kick him out, or everyone would believe. Because he's like, you're a sinner, and you need to follow me, and you need to become a Christian. So either they got they kicked him out of the party, or they actually stopped drinking, and they became Christians, and they followed Jesus. Okay? Now my question is, is that if you're at the, the mindset that, okay, well, I have to associate, I can, as long as I don't participate, I can associate by going to those things. My question for you is, which one of those two things happens when you go to the parties? 
This, here's what I think. I think none of those things happen. Because you're not there for you. You're there for you. Don't associate with evil. Number two, find out what makes God smile. Listen to what it says this. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, Ephesians 5, verse 10. So I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, too many people, uh, are, when, they, when they find a relationship with Jesus, they are trying to figure out where the line is. Like, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? So when we talk about, you know, living together, can I live together? Is that sin? Can I do, where's the line? Like, where can I, where am I not able to jump off how, how can I be a Christian and still enjoy a sinful lifestyle? Like, where's the line? And the, my, my heart behind that is to say that is not the point of Christianity at all, okay? Some of you, it's like playing basketball, right? And if you remember the very first sermon, I, I actually the second sermon I ever preached here, I talked about how your faith was like a basketball. You guys remember that? Yeah, some of you do. Liz does, because she's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, back in the days, I used to, uh, I used to be something of a basketball legend at Prairie. They called me Vanilla Thunder. No, they didn't call me Vanilla Thunder. I, I don't have an athletic bone in my body now. Okay, but I think Blaine played ball for a while. Right? And he did. Anyway, I had a lot of friends who were very athletic and played ball. And what? It, and I don't know a lot about basketball, but I know one thing is that when you ask the question, what makes a good ball player, the question that makes a good ball player is this, is that when they get the ball, every decision that they make is from, from the time that they get to the ball is how they're going to advance this ball to that net. But what I never heard someone say is that, is that oh, he's a good ball player. He stands within the lines. Okay? Do you ever realize that? Oh, yo, he doesn't, he doesn't advance the cause at all. He just gets the ball, and he goes anywhere on the court that he wants, but he never breaks, he never goes, he never breaks the boundary lines, but, you know, he just kind of goes over here and goes over there and there. Some of you live your faith like that, is that you get the ball, you get your faith, and you think that as long as you stay in the lines, you can do whatever you want. But that's not the goal of basketball. That's not the goal of your faith. The goal of your faith is to love God. So every decision that you make, whether it's, a, whether it's something, uh, whether it's the decision between right or wrong or something good and good, has to be in the advance of learning how to love God. Find out what pleases the Lord. Right? The goal of your faith is to know Him deeply and to get carried away and lost in Him. And someone who says, as long as I just don't go outside the lines, as long as I just don't break the rules, I think is someone who's lost focus of what the relationship with Jesus is. The goal is to love Him, to find out what pleases Him. You need to change your mentality. And lastly, expose darkness. What does it say? Take no, no part in the unfaithful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that you in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now, I had a little bit of trouble with this one. There is this YouTube, I think I shared this before, there's this YouTube 
guy this pet clip. You can, if you're bored, you can Google it right now. But there's this YouTube clip of this pastor, and he gets behind his pulpit, out of his pulpit, and he goes up and down the church because he's been there for 15 years. He starts calling out people's sins in front of the whole church. Right? You don't tithe very much. I'm not. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm giving an example, right? Please don't, please don't make me a YouTube video. Okay. And he went over here and he said, "Hey, you guys are getting married. You're a joke. You can't marry her. This is in your life. This is in your life. And I know you don't read your Bible. And I know you don't this. You guys are pitiful. You guys suck." And he starts naming off every sin that he could possibly think. Now. What do you think would happen if I did that? <laughs> Matt would have a very interesting day, wouldn't he? Right? So, when it says to expose people's sins, I don't think that that's the way to do it. I don't think many of you would trust me, because I know that some of you have revealed some very dark and painful secrets. And I don't think the pulpit is where you want me to reveal them. So then what does it mean to expose darkness? Well, I try to find an excuse. I try to find a way, uh, you know, to think, well, you know, it, it doesn't actually mean that. But the truth of the matter is it does. Wherever light wins, the darkness is visible and exposed. The evil is visible and exposed. So here's my best guess on how I think you should live on this passage. Number one, I think... It means that you expose the, your own darkness, that you cause the, the darkness in your own soul. You confess our sins to each other. James talks to about the idea about that you and I are to confess our sins to each other so that we may be healed. And I want to point out that when it says that you may be healed, it doesn't mean that you're, yeah, you have to confess your sins so that you're forgiven. You can go to God directly for that. But if you want freedom from your sins, if you want that habitual sin that you're struggling with, You've got to expose your own darkness. It's got to come out. I don't know of a single person who was able to be a sin that they were struggling with habitually until it came out in the open with people that they trusted, people that they prayed for, people that would help, people that would fight. Secondly, I think it means letting your life itself, just by the fact that you were living your life, expose the darkness. There's a story where Jesus actually goes and he's crossing, he's crossing a body of water and as he gets to across the water, body of water, he, he's met with a legion. You remember the story? Right? And Jesus heals the man, right? And he, all the demons go in the pigs and like, and, and the, the, the guys that were in charge of the pigs come here and they see the man, the demon-possessed man, in his right mind and it says that they were scared. And I've always thought that was a peculiar reaction. Like, why, when someone is getting better, why do you become scared, right? And I realized that sometimes what happens is, as God begins to work in our life, and He begins to heal us, and He begins to get rid of those sins, and we begins to live a life that pleases Him, and we live in a light, it actually is a conviction for other people to do the same. And people don't like that. So I remember very early, I was struggling, I, I had a friend of mine that was struggling, uh, <clears throat> With, uh, with negative talk, they would always complain about everyone and gossip, and then one, and he would have friends, and they would all gossip and complain, and then one day he's like, you know what, I'm just going to start being a blessing to everybody, right? 
So he starts being a blessing. And his friends are like, we don't like you now. Right? And the reason is, is because, because you've changed, it's forcing us to realize that we can't do it either. Exposing the darkness. I think, too, on some level, I think it means that we critique cultural ideas that go against the very word of God. And I have to be careful with that one because there's a lot. We're talking about this at the Sunday school. Like, you could play whack-a-mole with every, with every false teaching out there, so you've got to be careful with that. But I think that it does mean that. And lastly, I think it means that we let others expose the darkness that they see in us. That we allow people to say, hey, you know what? I've been praying about you, and I've seen this, and could this be true? <clears throat> no. It's not going around pointing out every single, like, you're a sinner, and you're a sinner, and you're a sinner. It's this idea, like, hey, I, I was, I, I'm concerned about you, I see this, and I want to help you. And by the way, if you're ever wondering, like, if you should, if you see someone in someone else's life, and you're wondering whether you should call it out or not, here's, here's a good tip, I think. The, the, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, actually, to speak the truth in love. So if you speak the truth, you're just say, hey, like this is this isn't right. I see this in you, and you've got it. I think you've got to change. But you're to do it in love. And I think here, here, here's the key thing: if you're going to call someone out on something, you shouldn't do it unless you are willing to spend the time, the money, and the relationship to walk with them through fixing that. Otherwise, I think what you do is you run the risk of being like that pastor. But someone that comes along and says, hey, you know what, Dan, I saw this in your life, and I'm concerned for you, and I'm nervous for you, and I think you're, you're floundering, and I want to help, I think that that's a good way of exposing darkness. So there you go, friends. That's how practical we believe. That we are to live a life that is good, that is true, and that is right. So my question for you today, that I would actually, before we leave today, is I would actually like you to pray as we close out the service and just ask the Holy Spirit, which one of these things do I need to make a change in this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And I pray, God, you would help us live as people of the light. And the whole church said...